Welcome to Credits Do, the podcast where we break down an actor's filmography one movie at a time. I'm Ben Cron, and joining me today is Tyler Owen. Switchblade. And Neil Potter. And my axe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I feel really uh, (laughs) inconsequential. Well, it's funny that you said something that even was close to what I was going to say, because I was going to say what I was going to say regardless. So at least you (laughs) said something that made it make sense a little. Oh, cool. Honestly, one of the greatest cinematic scenes of like all time is that <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring scene. Hell yeah. I like sometimes will only watch that scene just because it's so good. <laughs> just to get that glint in Gimli's eyes. Yeah. yeah. And then when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hugo Weaving, he says, and now you are the Fellowship, the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> And then it says, insert disc two. And you're like, <laughs> what a weird, okay. All right, pause on that. Um, let's get to, let's get to this episode, guys. Uh, today, we, we are on part three on our series on Harrison Ford. And we will be talking about the 1982 sci-fi classic Blade Runner um, it was directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer. Um, it is, according to IMDb, it is about a Blade Runner must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. Um, uh, Okay. <laughs> um, as always, we'll uh, we'll saw we'll we will start off with some film trivia on the movie. Then we'll go into some box office, and then we'll dive into our full spoiler-filled discussion on Blade Runner. Um, and a editor's note: we are talking about Blade Runner: The Final Cut. Um, for just for this discussion purposes, we all watch Blade Runner the final cut. Uh, then we'll end with some final thoughts on Harrison Ford and we'll leave you guys with some recommendations. So Tyler, you want to kick this off with some film trivia? Sure thing. Yeah, every episode I put together four pieces of trivia about our main film and one of them I have made up completely and you guys figure out which one it is. So let's get rolling. Number one. The final scene was shot literally hours before the producers were due to take creative control away from Ridley Scott. Number two, Harrison Ford cites Blade Runner as one of the most frustrating films he's ever made, partly because the shoot was so grueling and the changes in post-production that were meant to help the film's chances at the box office did not. Number three, Ridley Scott wanted to call the film Gotham City, but Bob Kane, the creator of Batman, wouldn't sell the rights to the name. And number four, the sequence where Roy Batty breaks Deckard's fingers was invented on set as a way to cover an actual injury that Harrison Ford sustained when his modified pistol backfired and burned his ring and pinky fingers. All right. Mm. Ben, you want to go first and pick the fake? Oh, boy. Um, Oh, my God. Uh... 
Uh, I'm going to say the Gotham City one is the fake. And as always, I I have my doubts, but <laughs> that's what I'm going to go with. My thing is, Bob Kane was a dick when it came to that kind of stuff, so I could totally <laughs> yeah. see that being true. Yeah. Man. I just don't I just don't see it ever getting to like the stage where they would ask Bob Kane. Like I I mean, I don't know. It just if if anyone was like, Yeah, here's my movie, it's called Gotham City, I'd be like, uh no it's not <laughs> I, uh, yeah, okay. uh, I think I think the fake is that last one about the broken fingers. Because that seems silly. But then again, a lot of the stuff in this movie could probably be seen as silly. So uh, I'm going to go with the last one, though. All right. Well, let's take them in order. Number one, the final scene was shot literally hours before the producers would do to take creative control away from Lily Scott. And you both think that one is true. That is true. Oh, yes, yeah. the oh, yeah. uh, the production of this film is uh, legendarily uh, rife with <laughs> conflict. <laughs> so the the producers were very unhappy with the way that the film was going, and that uh, ended up resulting in uh, the voiceovers that tried mm. to help make the film more intelligible to audiences uh, in the original theatrical cut. And as you know, having watched the final cut for this podcast that was made in 2007, actually, uh, those voiceovers are not in there. So uh, that was an addition by the producers because they thought the film was too obtuse and difficult for audiences to follow. And they were planning to take control of filming completely away from Ridley Scott, but he managed to finish everything he had wanted to shoot uh, just before they took it away from him. And yeah. Uh, number two. So wait, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. They the producers edited the entire movie, like without Ridley Scott. Or do you I know how the rest of that ended? I I think that they had final cre- uh, final control over the final cut of the film. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Ridley Scott's original cut had was four hours long, and according to everyone involved, not just the producers, it was like unintelligible so it's it it wasn't they weren't it seems like the producers weren't entirely wrong in wanting to try and fix things uh but the way they went about it was not the best version of the film either uh so it took literally decades before we got something that was uh that most people considered to be the the classic film now Mm -hmm. um yeah so number two, Harrison Ford cites Blade Runner as one of the most frustrating films he's ever made, and uh-huh. uh, that is true as well. He uh, famously for years later wouldn't even talk about the f- experience of filming this. Uh, it was in- wasn't until the late 2000s where there was a documentary created about the film, and he finally went on record for a... I don't know if it was a commentary track or if it was he was interviewed for the actual documentary, but yeah, pretty much up until then he was very, uh, very hush hush on like his experience just because he had such a poor time f- filming this movie. So, mm-hmm. 
And uh, number three, Ridley Scott wanted to call the film Gotham City, but Bob Kane wouldn't sell the rights to the name. And that is true. <laughs> I I thought you guys would call that out as like that has to be true because it's so insane. Like yeah. I can't believe that he got that he went that far. Like that he wanted to call the movie Gotham City, mm-hmm. which is a fake name of a city that originated in Batman that had already yeah. been around for decades. Like <laughs> it makes no sense. And I, it's so strange to me. I, I wonder if it ever would have, like if they would have given him the rights, I have to imagine someone else would have stopped him from actually calling it that. Right. Yeah. I would think yeah. so. You'd think so. Like it, getting the rights is one thing, but actually having that be the final name of the film is something entirely different. But yeah, it, funny that it, it even got that far. I mean, SEO wasn't a thing back then, so who knows? Yeah, uh, yeah my doubt, uh, my doubt with with calling that fake was that that seems like a Ridley Scott thing. Like yeah. that's just him being like, yeah, it's gonna be called ba- uh, it's gonna be called Batman Town, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, Ridley Scott, like that's something, that's just something he would do. Right. Um, but yeah. And that means that our final piece of trivia is the fake. Uh, The sequence where Roy Batty breaks Deckard's fingers was invented on set as a way to cover an actual injury. No, that did not happen. Uh, That is an excellent sequence. And uh, Mm. I mostly put this in there because I found it really fascinating that uh, the pistol that Deckard uses in this film is actually a rifle that has had the barrel sawed off and they've added little lights and added a oh, pistol grip wow. cover on it. And so oh. it was twice the weight of a normal pistol <laughs> and caused problems throughout the shoot. Uh, of course. They, they had to load a much higher cal- caliber uh, ammunition in it, and so they had to have special blanks that were you know much larger <laughs> than a normal blank for a normal pistol uh, so yeah th- that thing is a beast and it is pretty iconic in the film so mm-hmm. wow that's so funny that's pretty great <laughs> well after trivia we typically get into some box office stuff here now for the life of me i couldn't find a production budget for this <laughs> like it just says na in box office mojo so like i have no idea what this could have possibly made but uh it was released on june 25th 1982 um sci-fi thriller rated R domestic lifetime gross of $32,868,000. Wow. Um, and that's, that's over its lifetime. It's opening weekend only made $6 million. Now yep. I, Hold up. Now, this, from what I've heard, this movie was critically panned when it first kind of came out. Mm-hmm. And just kind of so, to kind of give you a little bit of a comparison, E.T., the extraterrestrial, <laughs> which came out that same year, doubled that with an $11 million opening weekend. It and came out the same day. Did it really? Yes. E.T. came out the same day, and that's partly why it did so poor. Is what because a terrible how, yeah. movie to come up against. Yeah, how Holy do you compete cow. against that, right? Oh, yeah. man. 
That is wild. And E.T.'s obviously budget is like almost 400 million at this point. Yeah. But like Blade Runner, it, I don't know, it critically panned when it first came out. And not to mention, just looking through, it's like related projects. Uh, like it's got the collector's edition, the director's cut, the collector's set, the remastered limited edition, <laughs> five disc ultimate collector's cut, five disc collector's edition, like two disc uh, final cut, 30th anniversary collector's edition. Like this movie will, has been released like 40 times. Yeah. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> and none of which has helped its like, <laughs> lifetime gross any. Well, it's interesting to like you you think about the fact that this got a poor critical reception and you're like, how this is like a classic. But then it's easy to forget that like the version that we're all used to now is drastically different than the theatrical cut. Right. Right. Like I have not seen the, the full theatrical cut, but I've seen like comparison videos and I can see why people would really balk at this. Like it is it. I like just imagine Harrison Ford like narrating <laughs> over top of it to like explain yeah. every little thing that's going on. That's that's awful. It, it, it totally <laughs> ruins the the feel of this movie. And, right. and Harrison has said in interviews later that like that he was so pissed off having to do those garbage voiceovers. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be curious to know when this movie became like a cult classic, though, because that's how I remember it as. Yeah, as, mm-hmm. is like a cult classic. I'd be interested to know what year that was like it had to have been in like 2000 something right i mean i imagine there's probably a pretty strong following of people who just really appreciated the the look and feel of the film because that was all there right and right uh, i mean i think i think in order to get to the level where you have multiple like re-releases of different cuts it has to have a certain fan following that's asking for that first you know yeah Mm. very true very true um so on that note i guess i kind of want to um i kind of want to just ask you guys right before we dive into this movie uh kind of what your relationship is um with specifically this movie blade runner um because i had seen this movie before um i have no idea what I, th- I want to say I've only watched it once. I have no idea what version um, it was, but uh, I really had no really affinity for this movie going into it. Um, and uh, I I just don't know. So I, I'm wondering, um, you guys, what, what your relationship with this movie uh, has been. Yeah. So like I had I had not heard of it up until I maybe got to college. Uh just may, or maybe I'd heard of it but just never thought anything of it. And uh, around that time people had told me like I've I'm I have a friend that's a pretty big movie buff and I think he was one that was like, "Oh yeah, you got to watch it." Like it's a cult classic kind of a thing. And he told me to watch it for years and I was just like, ah, maybe I'll get to it. Like, I don't know. We'll see. And the, in college, I gave it uh, no pun intended, the college try. And <laughs> I like just didn't finish it. Cause I was like, this is boring as 
fuck. Like <laughs> I didn't like I didn't want anything to do with it when I watched it then. And then I just put it off for I think up until Blade Runner 2049 was coming out. Oh wow. Like just a few years ago, and then I watched it right before then, and that time watching it, I found a, a greater appreciation for it. But as we'll get into when we more discuss the movie, I'm not in love with the original yet. So, but like, that's kind of my relationship. It was just mostly just me putting it off and then me just almost falling asleep during it to me finally getting a slight appreciation for it. <laughs> um, wait, don't you own like like yeah. three versions of this movie? No, I have the Blu-ray edition that has a bunch of versions because I bought oh. it for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I, yeah. Context, I, I guess. I've had a, I had kind of a similar experience. I, uh, I watched this the, for the first time in college with my college roommate, and we had a, like, we had a Netflix disc subscription that was sent to our college P.O. box, and I got it that way, and uh, we watched it in our dorm room, and we, like, we, we watched the whole thing, and we're like, I mean, it, like, I bet the special effects were really cool when it came out, but that was kind of dull, and so we, like, we didn't really, I don't know, I wouldn't say that we had, like, a negative a view of it but we were kind of just like meh I probably won't ever watch that again and then Q you know several years later I already have seen several films from uh, Denis Villeneuve and saw that he was coming out with a sequel to Blade Runner and I'm like whoa that is weird like what is this and so I decided like you Neil uh, to revisit the movie again and I genuinely did really like it. Um, rewatching it, I think, I think I was looking for what a modern filmmaker saw in it that would necessitate a sequel. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that the whole the world, the like the world building here is so cool. Like mm-hmm. everything is so detailed, and there's so much. Like, there's so much we've talked about in the past about how like. I really prefer things that are shown and not told and especially shown in a way where like they'll just give you a hint of something and then let your mind race with like what does that mean like and you're filling it in with your imagination they're like there are entire they they uh, they introduce ideas in this movie that are just like single sentences that imply battles happening on distant planets between fake humans and humans and like that shit is really cool like it has this awesome mm-hmm. backdrop for this cool noir story and the noir aspect of it was another big part that really drew me in watching it a second time because I had kind of gained an appreciation for that style of filmmaking too and like how this was a really interesting sci-fi throwback to those old noir detective stories so all those ingredients combined like really made me have a strong appreciation for it but I would still say that like I found it problematic in places and still somewhat boring if you weren't in the mood to watch it Um, but I think now like and we'll obviously we're gonna get to Blade Runner 2049 later um, but I think that movie also added to my appreciation of the first film as well. 
Yeah, most mm. that is definitely a retroactive thing for me too. Because right. like I, I mean, not to get too far spoiling for later on twenty forty nine, we'll get to it. But I really liked that. Mm-hmm. So like going back and watching this, like I, yeah, like I just made me fall in love more with this and the world. Like as you're saying. Like is so expertly built, and I think Ridley Scott is really, really, really good at doing that. He just has a hard time parsing through a story in the middle of this that yep. kind of is coherent and things like that. But yeah, like I really enjoy the concept of like, oh, we've made these near human things. Now, what's the weird moral dilemma when they can actually feel and think for themselves? Like, what happens to those things? Like, that is just an awesome, like, concept to me. Mm-hmm. And how it comes after, like, they're illegal now. Like, they've been, like, what's the line? It's the text at the beginning of the movie. It's like, this isn't an execution. It's retirement. Right. And yeah. it's like, wow, right. what a weird what a like I mean that like perfectly sets up the whole like you know can they feel because it's uh, they're machines like to humans view them as machines but I mean they're like almost no different than than us right um, which is fascinating Uh, I definitely really dug the noir aspect of this movie Um, it really it really takes the like template of uh, like standard noir. Like even with, I mean, the opening scene of the movie is them basically showing the crime that kicks this, uh, that kicks the whole like story off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, but then also that scene like is just dumping exposition in with like um, that whole like. Turin test of like them trying to figure out if these employees are replicas um and it, like it that scene does so much work to like explain so much about this world and then uh how um harrison ford's character comes in and he's like a recently retired detective who is like uh being brought back in because he's like one of the best Mm -hmm. and it's like it's like wow this is a this is a noir movie but there's just flying cars and robots like that's the only difference set in 2019 (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. that's the other thing set in november of 2019 (laughs) so it's like when this episode air (laughs) so yeah so it could still happen uh yeah that's so funny that i had to laugh at that because this is our this is our second movie that has taken place it takes place in the future, but it's taking place in the, the year that we're discussing it. <laughs> yeah. The first, of course, being Terminator Salvation. It yeah. took place in 2018. <laughs> um, yeah, that's yeah, that was so funny. Um, but yeah, the yeah, the whole like noir angle I would just really loved and um, I think Harrison Ford makes a very good, like stoic detective. Um I think because I think like I think he was so good in this role because he still has those flares of um, charisma that poke through and that like really that really helps to bring someone who like a main character who's so cold for most of the movie um, 
it helps it like not get boring and like not like just <laughs> the audience like turn against the main character just because they're so they're so like cold and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but the re- but like uh, honestly, I did not enjoy this movie um, when I watched it this week. Uh, I think there's good like just the things we were talking about. I think it was really those things are good but as a whole I just think it's it is too boring and everything that is interesting about it is too far and um uh what's that term phrase too far and few and far between few and far between there you go (laughs) and it just doesn't like that the interesting stuff just isn't there enough to make the movie um, like worthwhile um, I'd be very interested if I mean I don't think Ridley Scott has proven this with like his like 15th alien movie he's made but <laughs> I wonder if he could like if he could revisit Blade Runner and make it make this same vision like better no um, no, no yeah. don't don't let him anywhere near his old stuff ever again yeah. I mean yeah I mean yeah. that's like that's I feel like the same idea you could say about alien but like I mean he's honestly like what he's made three alien sequels and I think they've all been I haven't seen any of them but I think the most the reception has been that they're not very they're bad. Good. No, they're bad. Yeah. They're I mean they're yeah. visually stunning as are all of his films, but he mm-hmm. I I don't I think the trailers are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Neil, yeah. Neil, I think you kind of said it best like he just he doesn't have the mind for the plot elements and the pacing and logic of it anymore or if he or if he ever even really did. Like I think there's a very strong argument to be made that the plot of this movie is incredibly weak. Like it really is more a collection of really stunning moments that are strung together on a string that is just inconsequential. You know, it just there there are so many things that I love about this movie, but it's absolutely one of those movies that I rarely recommend to anyone to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and kind of for all the reasons you've already mentioned, right? Like it's it's especially considering that it had to go through decades of revision before it even got to the point where I would call it a you know a great film <laughs> there 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 were there were the ingredients for something great and it's gotten to a point where I think it's really a really high quality piece of filmmaking and historical filmmaking but it's it's very like pasted together and it feels that way Mm-hmm. And the plot, uh, having a thin plot would be fine if the characters were interesting enough to, like, want you to follow them. Right? Yeah. Like, I think Rachel, the, like, replica at the whole center of it is just, like, boring as a character. And I, yeah. I just, like, could not, I could not care whenever she was on screen. I just think it. they, yeah, like they didn't give her like hardly anything to make you care enough. Like it, she should have been more um, like 
just destroyed at the fact that oh my god nobody told me I was a replicant my whole life kind of a mm-hmm. thing like she was kind of in shock you saw when that was like kind of revealed to her but then like Harrison Ford was just like ah oh, I was just kidding around you know like trying to make her <laughs> feel better and then uh, it, yeah like something needed to happen a little bit differently with her in that regard like I don't want to Oh boy. I don't want to give kudos to Terminator Salvation or whatever. <laughs> but like when that guy figures out he's a Terminator, like he is upset. Like uh-huh. uh, but like Well, also because his body's ripped in half. <laughs> yeah. Or here's a better one. Here's a better one. Um and it's not a whole lot better, but I'm trying to come up with some well, Even here. Tyler Durden in Fight Club is great yeah. because that that fucks with the entire movie that you've been watching. Right, right. I mean, maybe well, a little different, but... Yeah. Um, the remake... This is another... Okay, yeah, another bad example. The remake of RoboCop. Did, actually, this was my, my, my favorite part of that movie is when they tear him apart and show him what he actually is. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah. It's not that good, but there is a moment in the movie where he's been like essentially killed and then they take away his body parts to show him that he's literally just a brain with a heart and like that's it and that is like intense but like so and he does a really good job the actor in that showing through the rest of the movie like how he should be but like the the woman in this show uh, or Blade Runner doesn't really doesn't do enough for me to make me care enough like as you were saying Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting how like the movie is like presenting a a moral quandary of like are these humans or are they not? And yet they're presenting them like the the view that we get of them is very robotic, right? Like so it actually makes it pretty difficult to empathize with them because we don't really see very human emotions from them. We see like erratic behavior, we see like very uh, dull and you know not very emotional uh, dialogue and so it just it comes across very flat it, it doesn't deliver really that same um, emotional impact of like feeling bad for the things that are happening to them like especially mm-hmm. when the main villain is show is not portrayed in a very positive light either like he's absolutely like degenerating and like <laughs> killing people around him it's like yeah this guy should probably be stopped like i can see why they yeah. want to take these things yeah. out right like <laughs> yeah it, it's so it's 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 interesting that it like wants to present this moral quandary but it it's actually presented pretty one-sided ultimately mm-hmm. um but you I, do that you present that through the character rachel who's like the femme fatale and who you're supposed to care about right because but she's just kind of there like she for like half the movie she's in uh deckard's apartment just like chilling doing something (laughs) yeah yeah so and i know it's like really easy to like backseat quarterback whatever (laughs) whatever Mm -hmm. analogy you want to use but i feel like the characters of pris and rachel should have probably just been combined uh i feel like it would have been a lot more powerful to have 
a central character who's struggling with their identity and whether or not they should be mad at humans for hunting them down and killing them and wanting revenge or wanting to embrace the fact that they feel human inside and wanting to live a life as a human, like become human. And mm-hmm. so I feel like if you would have had a conflict, an actual conflict with a character more than just, am I uh, like, oh no, I'm a, I'm a replicant. Like that, that revelation being the sole conflict feels really boring. It would have mm-hmm. been way more interesting if she had to make a choice of what action she was going to take, but instead she's a completely passive character and doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's also like the Harley Quinn of this movie. Um, I was just going to say that, yeah. She's, she's like bringing it back to the Gotham City about. thing. Um, yeah, and if she would turn on uh, Batty at the end, like that's a very like Harley Quinn like story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the person, uh, the person that I think makes this movie worthwhile and who is electrifying in every scene he's in is Rutger Hauer who plays Roy Batty 100% of course he has that like incredible monologue at the end but I honestly thought every time he was on screen it was just like it was like taking a like shot of adrenaline in your like heart and it was just like oh shit this guy is cool and I want to like know more about his character yeah right. he, he plays a, the like tortured soul so well yeah oh my god yeah and yeah it's so cool that he is like the he's like this unstoppable force that he's like this super human like super strength and all that stuff and then like someone says like the only way to stop him is to kill him or something which is <laughs> such a badass way to describe a villain <laughs> and then like then the revelation that he's he has a half-life and he's just gonna die like yeah. and there's nothing yeah. he can do to stop it that's like um that is so like it's such a I don't know. It's such a cool villain. Um, it is. And yeah, I just like, really... Yeah, he becomes a thing that where he's like, oh, now I've got nothing left to lose. I've got like 48 hours to live kind yeah. of a thing. Time to wreck shit up. <laughs> and I loved how he was like... I, I mean, if they did this movie again, like in 2019, he would be like... He would be played by like a professional wrestler, right? Like, not saying that Rucker, his Rucker Howard's like body was like, you know, not like he like he was pretty beefy in this movie. Right. But yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like actors now are just like buff as fuck. And it was cool to see an actor who was menacing and could like have such a physical presence, but also not really be ripped to shreds you know mm-hmm. well i think that was kind of what made him scary right it's like you yeah you looked at him and he wasn't this like giant hulk of a man and yet he was like just 
effortlessly destroying people. Yeah. And like, so it really illustrates that like, oh, these things are, they aren't just designed to look like humans. They're, or be just like humans. They're designed to be better than humans. Yeah. And mm. that, but that comes at a price, right? It's like, it, it comes at the price of a short life. And that, uh, that uh, line that uh, Tyrell says when he is talking to Roy and he says, the candle that burns twice as bright will, <laughs> Uh, burns out ha- or half as twice as fast or something like that. Uh, like that's that's such a great little like metaphor for what this character is experiencing. And so, yeah, I, I thought that that aspect of his character was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to cast an actor who can just like act the fuck out of those scenes is kind right. of brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Especially um, given the subject matter, right? Like, yeah. there are, it's it's difficult to to find an actor willing to sink that deep into something that a lot of people consider a, a like throwaway genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I guess we haven't really discussed uh, um really Scott, but this is this is the movie he did right after Alien, and. I think Alien was like a huge hit, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like right when it was was released. So this is like, this is the classic like soft. Um, ooh, I guess it was his third feature length film, but like going in like this movie was definitely the like, you know, you make a huge hit and then you just do whatever the fuck you want. Right. Yeah. And usually that doesn't turn out well. Um, and in my opinion, it didn't. But um, it was very like, I mean, that it was this movie feels very much that way where it's like, um, like I he was probably like one of I mean he made a huge movie he was probably one of the biggest directors he probably had done any movie he wanted um probably could have done a Star Wars movie and (laughs) even back then and he chose he chose to adapt a a book and kind of go crazy with it and um don't know where I was going with this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just yeah, I mean, just Ridley Scott in general is kind of a fascinating di- uh, director. Mm-hmm. He he's had some like uh, just unequivocal success, but it's it, I feel like for every one of his movies that I genuinely love, there's like five that I don't even have an interest in watching, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. let alone not liking. It just I like. I've never seen Exodus, Gods and Kings. I oh, like. There are several other movies of his that I've never seen before. That and some people like, but I just like that just doesn't sound in the least bit interesting to me. And especially his more recent movies, like the going back to the well for like Alien, and he's announced he's making a Gladiator two. Like it <laughs> oh, just kind wow. of feels like I don't know. I don't know what he's doing, but then then he'll go and make something like The Martian, which I genuinely love too. So right. he's just he's 
uh, he's unable it, it's uh, you're unable to predict like what he's going to do and i i just i wonder what really a, attracted him to this project because i mean i guess there's some similarities to in style to alien but like uh, he had to know that this wasn't going to be like a the kind of success that alien was right well i think i mean I looking at just the world building I think this is like what Alien did, but like times a million in terms yeah, of like, right. you know, designing cities and cars and weapons, like, and even clothes. Like, um, I mean, it, it seems like it seems just watching it that it was a movie that should have been just fun to make. Like, oh, yeah. Just all yeah. the sets and the costumes. I mean, it. But- by you all know. accounts, it was a hell on earth to <laughs> yeah. make. So yeah. you know. <laughs> so in reading some of the other trivia, apparently this was his first movie that he filmed in the U.S. Uh, before this, when he did Alien, he filmed that in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't accustomed to the differences between U.S. and U.K. film production. Oh, and sure. apparently, apparently in the U.S., it, at least back then, I don't know if it's still the case now, but it was really, um, it, it wasn't considered appropriate for the director to get behind the camera. So, like, the, the camera operators and the, um, like, the cinematographers, like, they considered that their role is to, mm. like, frame shots and stuff. And he came from a background where he was, like, always jumping in and taking the camera and seeing what it looks like in the viewfinder. And apparently that put, like, a big schism between him and the the oh, rest yeah. of the um, production. And so, like, oh, they, they had, like, this... They had this... Uh, th- they called it the T-shirt war, where some of the uh, rest of the crew put uh shirts on that said uh that said yes yes governor my ass or something like that and it's because he yeah it, he because uh ridley scott would say in in the uk whenever i'd ask somebody on the set to do something they'd say yes governor and so they had shirts made that said yes governor governor my ass wow. that's so oh funny my god yeah. oh my god nice that's so funny. So, yeah. I wonder if it was a it, um, there's a uh, um, David Fincher talks about when he his first movie he made was Alien Three, mm-hmm. um, and wait, is that true? That's not his first movie. Maybe not his first, but um, but that's like his first like big studio movie, right? And he made um, he made like music videos. Um, before that and like a huge successful like very well known like music video director and he comes in to do a uh, uh, yeah Alien 3 was his first movie so it's his first movie he comes in and he lets the he lets the studio like um, basically hire his crew so like um, assistant directors, like cinematographers, like all that. There, it's just like, yeah, this is a big budget studio movie, so I'll just let them hire everyone. And he, they all hired like, like people who have been who are not on their first feature film, who are like veterans and like have worked on 
several movies and they just hated Fincher because he was this newcomer, <laughs> yeah. like very green, like first time on the job. And so they, ne- they like refused to listen to any of his stuff. And so he was like, then his next movie, he just hired people he worked with on music videos. And he was like, all right, yeah. I'm back to, I'm back to just hiring the people that um, I'm good to work with. <laughs> that's very like, I wonder, I imagine that's an American thing. Cause my first, yeah. when you told that story, I was like, I wonder if that's a union thing that yeah. that's just like, no, I that's bet. my job. And like right. that but I wonder if it's an American thing that it's just like <laughs> fuck you it's my UK. job to do that like <laughs> I'm not yelling cut during filming so you don't right, touch yeah. the camera um, uh, whereas UK is very like they're the, you know they still have royalty like they that's their kind of way of thinking is they're very um uh they're aware of people's positions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Let's see. Let's chat about actually Harrison Ford's character here. Uh, what did you guys think? Like how he did throughout the entire thing? Like, I don't think he was the strongest, but I, I'd like to know your opinions on Harrison Ford in general in this one. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was good. I, I enjoyed him. And I think because um, this is a very different role than he is. Like, he's not the charming wise-ass that I think we're used to from Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. Uh, but mm-hmm. I felt like he, he played this role so well because he could still like kind of make jokes every now and then and he'd give a smirk um that he just like had humanity about him about that character that i think like in 2049 like i don't think ryan gosling brings that for you know weird that ryan gosling wouldn't bring like some sass to a role but like that movie and his character in that movie is pretty void of of sass, if you will. It's <laughs> not, not enough sass for Ben's yeah. liking. Got I it. mean, even just hints here and there, just some sprinkles of sass, like they go a long, a long way to make a character enjoyable. And I think Deckard mm. is, he is fun to watch in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would say so too. I think, I think that there's a lot of the um, a lot of the boring parts of this movie unfortunately are long stretches where we're just watching him and so it can be easy to associate that with a negative performance but I don't think that's necessarily true I think that he puts on a really strong performance here for the most part where you you're just trying to figure out where he fits into this society and like the the tiny touches where you start to wonder if he himself is a replicant, I think, are probably the most interesting parts of his characterization. So, like, we, I wish that that was actually a bigger part of the movie because I think that's the most the most interesting question that the movie brings up is like, does it if you 
if you didn't know and you had it presented to you that you might be a replicant, would you even want to know? And mm-hmm. I think that's like the the thing he's struggling with in basically the second half of the film. And it, I just I think that he does a really great job of like portraying all of that without saying anything. Um, and like you said, he still he still maintains that little bit of sarcasm that we know and love. And it, yeah, I just it's very it's a very subtle performance. I think that's pretty actually pretty unique for him in most mm-hmm. of his movies. I agree. Um, there's one scene in particular that like I rem- forgot was in here, but like threw me off. So it's when he's hunting down his that first replicant who's like at that strip club or whatever it is. I'm not really sure. And he like walks into this room and pretends he's like works for some oh, yeah. different corporation. Oh, yeah. he and he's a journalist. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like a journalist and he turns on like his Bugs Bunny like face or something like <laughs> yeah. he just goes ridiculous and it's like I thought that was a little over the top in my opinion but yeah. like I I I get it but like that's a very like, like 80s nerd stereotype that he's doing yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly god that's so funny it, uh, yeah, I thought that was a bit bizarre. And the strip club some- was hilarious too. Like that, <laughs> I know. I don't her that the woman he's talking to, like her. I don't even know what she's wearing, but just, just glitter. Tons <laughs> of sequins. Yeah. Yeah, sequins. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like what that scene did had it had a great world building scene in it that kind of was like how he actually tracked her down was through a synthetic scale on a synthetic snake. Like yep. it was this thing oh, that yeah. was like, oh, is the snake real? And she's like, no, heavens, oh, I couldn't afford a real one. <laughs> that stuff is so cool for world building. Like yeah. that's one of the most like it's so cool that he tracks it down through a serial code or like a, an ID number on a scale of a snake that is a, a, a synthetic replicant snake type thing. And like, yeah, that's cool. And they said just the perfect amount and didn't like blow up on how like, oh, does it eat synthetic mice or like, does it, like <laughs> whatever? Like, I'm glad they didn't just get into the weeds on it. Like, it right. was, that was one thing that was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that yeah. a lot, too. It, that that sequence, it does. It almost like gives you this picture of a man who's like bored with his job and just fucks around, you know, like yeah. it, when he's like, I got to deal with this shitty strip club. At least I'm going to have a little fun with it. You know, like, <laughs> right. Um, I, I no, I read that as that's why he's the best. They, he can just pull oh, out yeah, all these characters. <laughs> yeah, down at the station, improv. they're always asking him, do, do your journalist again. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, I'm going to say on the flip side, though, he's in also the worst scene in this entire movie. Oh. And granted, this was 1982, but still unforgivable about how he essentially rapes that poor woman in uh, his apartment. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that was bad. Like, that, it's very bad. Very, very cringy. Um, yeah. I totally, I, I cannot remember that at all. Oh, I yeah. won't oh, ask my. you to describe it, but <laughs> it's so it's essentially it's one of the times that Rachel comes over to his apartment to like 
talk with him. It's like, so he tells her he's a replicant. She storms off. And it's the next time she comes back to talk to him. She's like about to leave again. And he stops her at the door. And essentially it's just like, say, like, say you like me. And then she's like, he's like, say it again. Like, say you want to kiss me. Like, and keeps reinforcing that. And it's visibly clear she doesn't want to be there or do that. Oh, it's yeah. so bad. It's it's the <laughs> 80s idea of, like, women don't know what they want. You have to tell them what they want. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's very gross. Like, and <laughs> I, so I also read that, like, the reason that scene is really uncomfortable is that, like, her reaction feels very real, and yeah. apparently it was very real. Oh, they, wow. they oh, did God. not. They had a hard time filming that sequence, and apparently, when he pushes her up against the wall, her reaction was real because he actually hurt her. He pushed her so hard. Oh, Jesus! And it was like it's real. That's really fucked up. When you, especially when you know that context too. Mm-hmm. Like she, she wasn't happy with the way that that scene was going. So it like it's doubly bad because it's like she was probably pressured into doing a scene she didn't feel comfortable doing, and it's already. It, you know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah. it's just <laughs> fucking gross. So yeah, that one hundred percent is the low point of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh. Um. I want to ask you guys about um, is Deckard a replicant? Um, this is yeah, a Tyler, theory. You brought that up like halfway through. You think he realizes that? No, I'm not sure he realizes. I think it's honestly the first time. About halfway through the movie is probably about the first time he's ever considered it. Okay. Um, because I don't think he. I don't think in any other case that he's ever dealt with, he's ever gotten this close to another replicant in order to talk to them and like understand that they're not just these mindless automatons right and so he especially when he asks at one point how can she not know that she's a replicant right and then he's like well, if that's possible, then anyone could be a replicant. Maybe I'm a replicant. And he's not saying these things out loud, but I think right around that point when he learns that she's a replicant and has to tell her, he's like, what the fuck? This is way more fucked up than I thought. I'm like killing people that think they're human. And so that, that's where I just really found that whole thing fascinating. Um, So I'll say, I'm very firmly on the, the side of the fence that he is definitely a replicant. Oh. Um, and I think that's borne out mostly through, if you'd have to read some stuff about it, but it's mostly through his dreams of a unicorn mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. see. And basically, to sum it up, the idea is that that is a dream that has been uh, uh, that's actually a memory that's been given to him like other replicants ha- can have their memories inserted to make them think that they're human mm-hmm. and that they had a that they had like a childhood and stuff and that th- it's it's presented in a way where that he like d- he's wondering if it's a memory and not a dream that like someone put in a memory that is impossible to basically tell him he's not uh, that he's not human that this yeah. is an inserted memory of a, an, of a unicorn mm-hmm. so there's there's Which more to it than that but 
they use that storyline in uh, 2049. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, so uh, I I know I know very little about this theory, um, but uh, I all the times I've watched 2049, which is probably like close to 10 times, I have watched it uh, thinking that it is that Deckard is a hundred percent a replicant. Yeah. Um, it, just cause I, I that one. honestly wasn't aware that it was a theory. I just thought that that was like confirmed basically. And they probably they changes still, the viewing of that movie quite a lot. <laughs> they, they still try to keep it up to the viewers interpretation, even in 2049. But I think that, I think that that's it's evident that the creators and writers of that movie think he is also. So mm. I, I think it's easier to come to that conclusion watching that one than it is otherwise. But they they leave it ambiguous enough to like not anger the people who think he wasn't. I guess. Yeah. I, I would leave I would leave the original Blade Runner thinking that he isn't. Yeah, like me too. that it's like it's a there's a lot of smoke screen going mm-hmm. on like uh, the unicorn thing being the main one and how the guy has like uh makes the origami unicorn or whatever at the end like mm-hmm. i think that's the smoke screen but i would leave this thinking that not knowing definitively either way but poss- probably thinking that he's a human mm-hmm. that's my personal take yeah, i just I'm, i don't after yeah. watching this i I honestly thought it was it was all headcanon stuff. I was like, oh, I like I will I will probably rewatch this movie and really like look for that stuff um, because I had forgotten about the unicorn dreams. But after watching it, I I honestly felt like it was how people make headcanon about the new Star Wars movies and then they like start riots when when their head cannon <laughs> is challenged and I, like yeah. I, I was honestly was like oh there's nothing in this movie that even like that even touches on that he's a replicant and I'm I was just like how how did that become a thing and I think so for me I think it really comes down to more what you think makes a better story mm-hmm. more so mm-hmm. than what the movie is telling you it is one way or the other like for me i find it more fascinating that like we potentially have a uh two replicants that are different than all the other replicants that are like it's kind of like this adam and eve story like and obviously if you've watched 2049 that becomes even more clear but like the the idea that they could try to slip away into society and be this new thing that no one's ever seen before, like a a couple replicants in you know in love trying to get through a world full of humans. Like I think that to me that's a more interesting way to end the movie, um, and I guess that's why I think that's probably what more influences my interpretation of it. I agree that that's more interesting, but I feel like you're bringing outside thoughts. Like oh one hundred percent to yeah, that no yeah. I, I would agree <laughs> and that's like the whole headcan thing I just I hate headcanon because it's just 
It's you're not well, reading something from the movie. C3PO is a Sith, and get over it. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So um, also, Jar Jar Binks is actually <laughs> a Sith as well. That's that's, I, that's true though. <laughs> when I think of headcanon stuff, I feel like headcanon it, to me is like fans' ways of of making things fit that otherwise make no sense or that they they want to elevate the material to be cool when it like has nothing in there that's even hinting at that mm-hmm. they're they like want to add something on top of this thing but it's i think it's very clear in this that the movie wants you to wonder one way or the other and so mm-hmm. I think it's totally I think it's totally fair to have either interpretation, even if it means you kind of choose one or the other based on what you think is more interesting. But it's not like the film isn't presenting that as an option, right? Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I I'd have to rewatch the movie. Um I mean, at one point the the guy I think it's the character played by uh Edward James Olmos, who mm. says, doesn't he say, have you ever taken the test yourself? Or maybe maybe it was somebody else yeah. who tells oh, him that. Yeah. But like that's to me, that's like very clear. Right. Like they're mm. they're putting this little seed in your mind like, oh, shit, he he could be a replicant. And so that there's all those little things that add up that, again, I think it's totally valid to interpret it either way. But the the movie's definitely pushing you to to make a choice. Mm. Most definitely. There's one element that in the replicant uh, that about being a replicant in this movie that I loved. And it was just an aesthetic choice on their part. And you only see it ever a couple of times. You see it in Daryl Hannah's character and you see it in Rachel. Is that like right in the perfect shadow line? You can see like their eyes are slightly (laughs) orange. Like I think that. Like that, it like gives me chills. Like yeah. looking at that, for some reason, like just that look yep. is awesome. Like that is like one of the only giveaways you'll ever see, other than giving them this like forty question test or whatever. Yep, <laughs> and that's it's like, very like Terminator, but in yeah. way more subtle. Yes, and it's one of those things that like as a filmmaker, I respect so much because it's so small. It's utterly insignificant in the grand scheme of the film but it took so much work to make that happen because your eyes don't do that like your eyes don't reflect light out of the back of the iris like that's not a thing that normally happens the the way they had to do that is they had to shine really bright concentrated light off of mirrors at an exact 45 degree angle to the camera so that it would bounce off the back of your retina and be oh, picked up by the sensor on the camera. It's what? like it, it's the Didn't same. They have it's the contacts? same. Was that technology no, there no. in well, the eighties? Not you couldn't have like a a light glowing contact like that didn't exist mm, back then. Yeah, I guess. But like, yeah, I guess so. It, it's basically the same effect of uh, the red eye effect when you take. Mm-hmm flash photography sometimes where the timing of the flash bounces off the back of your retina and it's like very difficult to get it to do that in live like video film so the the amount of like work they had to do to develop that look is yeah. completely disproportionate to the 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 end effect that you see on screen and that I love that stuff you know mm-hmm. yep um <laughs> uh yes 
Uh, anything else you guys want to say, or I say we get into final thoughts? I've hit everything. Yeah, just I mean the the last bit to me is that the the climax of the film. I just wanted to see what you guys thought of that. We we already mentioned uh, Riker Howard's like monologue and all that, but man, what a that that right there. Honestly, the finale of the film really salvages so much of what else is there for me personally. Like it lands. so so well like on the many of the themes that it's trying to portray and to even to pull that off in a villain's death monologue is even more impressive because those are usually really cheesy and dumb mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. that I that whole ending sequence where you have like a 20 minute chase sequence where your main character doesn't speak a word followed by this like completely honestly anticlimactic resolution where he just dies <laughs> yeah. and doesn't you know he doesn't nothing clever happens for uh for Harrison Ford's character to get away he just it's just he's saved by the faulty nature of the replicants and it's just really so poetic and cool I don't know I just and the way that that <laughs> whole sequence is shot in the rain is gorgeous I that ending sequence is so good and I like yeah. how like uh, Harrison Ford never like gets the upper hand on him either. Like yeah, yeah. If mm-hmm. if um, if he would have just like survived like ten more minutes, he could have like ripped Deckard in half, like yeah. literally, and then died. But it, yep. it was just it was pure <laughs> luck that he was mm-hmm. just like he just kind of gave up and then perished. And um, I love in that scene to the whole buildup of it. Like, he's testing that his body is deteriorating through that entire scene, and like, oh, sh- like, I don't have any time left to do anything. <laughs> yeah. like, that he, like, that whole scene is just him falling apart until mm-hmm. he just essentially just shuts down. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, when he shoves that nail through his hand, it's just like, yeah. what oh, the God. fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then to, like, uh, Tyler, back when you said, like, there's just, like, lines of world building that they just never explain, mm-hmm. uh, it's just bonkers to me that the most famous line in this movie is is from Batty. It's, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tanhasser Gate. What a bonkers line. <laughs> I know, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. It, it shouldn't work, but he's so good at delivering that line yeah. that you're like, mm-hmm. fuck, those things must be gorgeous. Like, that must be incredible. Mm-hmm. It, you know? And the and then he apparently f- improved the the line um, adding the, like, tears in the rain. Oh, wow. Uh, all the, oh. Uh, so he, it was written to say, and all these moments will be gone forever or something like that. And he, mm-hmm. he says all these moments will be gone like tears in the rain and it's just like fuck man what a gut punch nailed it yeah and it's so good because it's it's like it's pouring rain during this and like yeah. that's kind of him saying that like he's crying like i imagine yeah. that he's crying and we can't see because right. um because it's raining uh yeah so good what a like brilliantly delivered line yeah mm-hmm. that on paper 
is just garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's that's like example uh, at the top of the list for how good actors can transform shit writing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, how I mean, kind of a brilliant screenwriter can say like this is a good line and I know it's going to be good when it's on film you yep. know yeah um or maybe they just got lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh let's get into final thoughts uh for every epi- for every movie we'll give Harrison Ford a rating of 1 to 5 Harrisons um I'll go first and uh like I said um this is a so-so movie. I, I'd maybe say it's 50-50. It has a lot of incredible moments. I think if you've never seen it, um, I would recommend that you watch it, especially if you're into sci-fi. Um, it, uh, the whole like version thing is pretty difficult. Um, apparently, I, I have no frame of reference, but apparently the final cut is the best version. Um I think it's worth it to just give it a rental um, and see some great performances, especially uh, Rucker Hauer, which we didn't say um, passed away this year. Yeah. Uh, passed away in July. Um, and I don't know him too well as an actor. Uh, I really honestly only know him from Batman Begins. Uh, where he gets it, that incredible line of, I guess you didn't get the memo. Get, <laughs> you never watched Hobo with a shotgun? You're missing oh, out. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's the titular Hobo with or a shotgun, the right? Mario Brothers movie where he plays oh, freaking Bowser. King. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Is it Bowser or is he King Koopa? Oh, King yeah, Koopa get, is King what Koopa. Koopa. Yeah, yeah, basically. Technically the same character. Um,. Jesus Christ, what a weird movie. Um, uh, but yeah, but like, I mean, a lot of people, when he passed away, a lot of people were sharing like YouTube clips of his performances. And um, he is such an incredible actor. And this is like, I think, what a brilliant performance that he brings to this movie. Um, and I think Harrison Ford is is solid in this movie, too. It's fun to watch him play like really test his range in this movie something that I don't think he ever does um, <laughs> that he'll never do again <laughs> even in the sequel he's like back to Har- just being Harrison Ford um, but uh, shit what was I going to give this I don't know three out of five Harrisons I think sounds right <laughs> something like that <laughs> it's um <laughs> It's not a movie that I'm too crazy about, but I think there's just there's some shining light to kind of make it worthwhile, even though um, even though I think as a whole, it's not that good. But uh, Neil, what about your final thoughts? Yeah, kind of as we've touched on earlier like aesthetically this movie is awesome it's got some great world building aspects to it this is a little there's some little subtle lines that give just a great example of a bigger world that they don't like they don't over explain that like they give enough context for why things are the way they are 
just they didn't build the greatest story around it. Um, it had some good noir like elements to it too. Um, it's just yeah that just detective who likes to drink and like sip on hard liquor and get the job done kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, they they just needed to explore something deeper in the story. Like kind of the you know other things we touched on earlier, just uh, just a different theme, or maybe not a different theme, but something else to kind of drive off of. Because whatever they had here was a little weak, in my opinion. Um, I I think I would recommend this for people, but I mean I am really into sci-fi, and this movie is kind of like a chore. Um, but I mean, it's worth it for 2049 alone, in my opinion. Like you, ha- like I think you have to watch them to get the context. Like I wouldn't watch just 2049. So, like, I'd probably give it like a two and a half Harrisons out of five. In all honesty. Mm. All right. Uh, I I'm definitely feeling like I'm a little more positive on this movie than either of you guys um and i i think i think a lot of that comes down to it being one of those movies to me that is better than the sum of its parts like there it's so many there are so many things in this movie that you can be like why did they do that you know but but then like um, a couple minutes later you're just like holy shit that is gorgeous or that performance was incredible and so it's a real mixed bag especially like if you're trying to like categorize how to recommend this for different people, because like I said earlier, I, I 100% do not recommend this to a lot of people because I just know they're not going to like it off the bat. Um, I think you're right though. If you are a fan of sci-fi and like you appreciate like cerebral sci-fi, then you're gonna probably find something to like here, even if you uh, think that it, it fails in some regards. Um, Harrison Ford's performance, I think, is strong, but it again, uh, there's just there's just enough weirdness in there for where like I I think that his poor experience in filming it kind of comes across in his characterization, and so you like you're left with like maybe a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, in uh, some scenes especially in the way he uh attacks his uh, the love interest but um i mean all things considered i i have to give it probably a 3.5 um 3.5 harrisons just cuz it's like there are parts of it that i could give a 5 to but there are other parts of it that i'd be like ugh this is like one territory you know <laughs> yeah mm. so it it's so it's so hard to to pin it down but um very much like a important movie you know if you want right. to put it in that category uh so yeah i i i've grown to love this movie more and more every time i watch it despite its flaws so um and i'm super super excited to uh later on here watch the 30 years later sequel of 2049 so (laughs) yes yes uh let's get into recommendations uh on every episode we'll leave you guys with some recommendations so neil what do you got for us absolutely so my recommendation is 
literally a, perf- a perfect movie. Five out of five Harrisons for this movie, in my well, opinion. I don't know a whole about lot that. of them. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of people disagree with this, and they'll say, oh, it's too long, it's too boring. I was disagreeing with the Harrison part, because I don't, oh, I don't know how many part. Harrisons okay. are in this movie. <laughs> 40 Harrisons. <laughs> um, but that, what I, the movie I want to get to, and I, I'm recommending the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I just started watching them again this week. And by God, is it like, this is my favorite movie of all time. I would say just the Lord of the Rings trilogy is my favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> it's I have I would say Two Towers is my favorite out of all of them. However, all of them together are just I think they're a GD masterpiece, in my opinion. Like, there's not a, one of them where I just wept, just openly wept in all of them. I don't know why this movie struck me like it did. It's just a great, and the books are good too. But so my extent, the extended editions, in my opinion, are 100% worth it and the only versions that should be watched because wow. all of the elements that they add in here and like, I've watched the theatrical versions enough to know what the different portions of or what was added is. And I'm like, why would they cut this out? This makes something else seem way like make way much more sense. Yep. I know why they cut them out, because it's wouldn't they don't want like four hour long theatrical <laughs> movies. But like everything they cut out and put back to the extended edition is 100 percent worth it, in my opinion. Like everything. Everything. Yes, everything. Everything. Thank you, Tyler. It, oh everything they add to these movies turns it into a effectively a, an eleven episode miniseries because it. I will admit that it ruins the pacing of the tra- a traditional film, but yeah. it becomes something so much better, which is long form storytelling, which is what we're all freaking raving about in this day and age of like the golden age of television they they did it first like lord yeah. of the rings the extended editions is like long form storytelling at its best okay i agree not to like not to start a fist no, fight at the end of this we're not but, even gonna talk okay uh, continue what I, I had the uh, i had the box set of the extended editions on blu-ray uh probably same, the same, same. that the good, same one that good you have choice And yeah, I watched them a bunch and uh, I mean, agreed, these movies are a masterpiece, every single one. Uh, Ranking them uh, is the incorrect way to talk about these movies because they're all Mm -hmm. a masterpiece. Um, And then I bought the theatrical theatrical cut, the regular um, Uh. cut on uh, digital. And I was like, oh, shit, these movies are even better than I thought. <laughs> you know, we just I mean, if you're, watching them, if you're watching them as movies, I could maybe agree with you. Like, the pacing is better. They're movies, though. But, okay. <laughs> you can only watch them as movies. Oh, if you watch, if you watch all three in a row, those aren't fucking movies. It's like a marathon series. Like that's what I'm saying. It, it it's not 
you can't watch all you, you're saying that you can't rank them as movies because they're all a masterpiece that's right because you watch them all as one thing you wouldn't watch a, even if even if you're watching just the theatrical v- versions you're not going to call that a nine hour long movie like it's yeah it's, it's still, three movies you're watching right. three movies back to back Okay, and uh, I, I will say that as movies, their pacing is better, like as three individual components. But if you're if you want to just watch it as one complete piece, I think that that is that you can make a better argument for the extended editions being more complete pieces of quality storytelling. Sure. Yeah. That is the right. That is the correct answer, Ben. <laughs> God, no, but I, um, legit, I made the joke about. Hot. I made the joke at the beginning about the disc changing. Because uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in that's that, not far off. That's not far it, off. It, yeah, in that Blu-ray thing, I think every single movie is on two discs. And correct, I have yeah. watched The Fellowship of the Ring several times. And when it says, and then, you know, I'll start the movie, then nine hours later, uh, I'll get to that fellowship scene and it will say, insert disc two. And I'll be like, I'm good. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I just think like the, it's just like, I don't know. Like I, I just had the title screen open, ready to watch the Fellowship of the Ring, the first disc of the first movie, and I was already like, I, I'm not even gonna, I can't even handle this. I'm getting too emotional. And fucking the end. Samwise Gamgee is the most, just the best thing on this entire planet, in my opinion. When he almost like, drowns, like chasing a. Uh, Frodo in the boat, like yeah. that's oh my god, heart wrenching. <laughs> yeah, yep. You don't don't leave him, don't leave Frodo. That's what he told me. Do we not can, leave, don't Frodo. leave Sam. We can all agree that these are masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's so has it been? A, it there. Has it been a while since you had rewatched these, or are you just yeah, emotional? I t- I typically watch them about every year if I can, but it's probably been about three since I watched mm-hmm. all of them. Um, but by yeah. God. Uh, yeah, we can close the book on LOTR <laughs> if you want, but yeah, I mean, every move. I mean, Gandalf coming back in Two Towers, spoilers, but like that, that is like one of. I love that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, and he lived. Brilliant. Happily ever after yeah. for the rest of his days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that um, who's the director? Uh, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Uh, man, one of the all-time greats, right? He he released his masterpiece <laughs> and then went on to just making incredible movies. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh man, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that another time. Next extra credits, we'll have the Peter Jackson the Peter cast. Jackson discussion. Yeah. Oh, I like that. All right, Tyler, you want to recommend something? I sure do. Um, So I can't remember if this has been mentioned anywhere on the podcast before, but uh, I'm going to recommend the show Barry on HBO. Uh, This is Bill Hader's uh, television foray. He stars as a uh, hitman who wants to become an actor. And it's about as weird as you might expect based on that premise. Um but it's really fucking good, guys. It, if have either of you seen it? 
No, I've only heard, I've heard to watch it a million times. I so. think I've only seen the first season. Okay, so I am currently on the penultimate episode of the final season or oh. the first season, and so I need to watch the first season finale yet. But I'm so excited to go and just watch more in the second season. This has been a huge surprise for me because like I've heard good things about it, but I was just like, eh. Bill Hader is a leading man and a weird seems like kind of a ripoff of like Breaking Bad sort of situation. Mm -hmm. But man, this show has so much to give as far as like original ideas and powerful performances. It is it's genuinely hilarious, but the subject matter early on made me wonder uh and my wife too she i think at one point she turned to me around like episode three or four and she's like i wonder how dark this show is gonna get because it it seems pretty funny right now but like the themes like it's it's an assassin right so like are they gonna make a are they gonna pull like a really dark turn and sure enough, we're on the second to last episode of the first season, and we found out just how dark it gets, guys. Um, <laughs> it's fucking dark. And really, they do some incredible things with contrasting concepts of acting that he's uh, dealing with in taking this acting class as a complete novice, and like using those as very direct metaphors that, for things that are happening in his life. And like, on paper that sounds really cheesy like every episode has this like life lesson he's learning in his acting class about how to be a real person by pretending to be a fake person and it, but it's it works so freaking well the writing is top notch and Bill Hader as like a funny yet very dr- dramatic performance this guy is good he is an incredible actor I, I'm loving this show so uh, 100% if you uh, jump back on that HBO subscription, do not sit on that because it's excellent. Barry on HBO is great. Yeah. Um, uh, also, Henry Winkler is pretty outstanding in, in that show. Absolutely. Yeah. He, um, he is both hilarious and disconcerting. And <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah, I need to. Um, yeah, I need to get on that because I, I watched it and I, I liked it, but I just kind of fell off and didn't really get to it but um apparently the third season like everyone was kind of losing their minds over the third season which i think aired at the same time as game of thrones yeah Um, Mm. so it kind of got overshadowed but i remember a lot of people just raving about it so i should just uh i should just watch it (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm gonna short episodes they're only like 30 minutes yeah I think I'm going to get HBO again when Watchmen comes back. So maybe I'll I'll make that some viewing. Um, I would like to recommend an EP that was just released. Uh, It's from the artist Your Smith. And the EP is called Wild Wild Woman. Uh, Your Smith, um, this is the artist Caroline Smith. who you you might be aware of she released several albums under that name and just i think this year she like rebranded herself as your smith and her music her sound hasn't really changed i think it's she kind of does like soul infused rock and 
this EP is very much along those lines, but I'd say it's more poppy um, than her past stuff. But this EP, there's like five songs and all of them are just knock it at they they all just like knock it out of the park knock it out of the park just excellent amazing pop songs um i listened to it today like probably five times in a row i just kept letting it just repeat over and over again <laughs> um it is so it's so amazing i'm absolutely um i've I've been in love with uh, her and her music. Um, I've been in love with her music uh, for a long time this year. And this uh, this EP has just, just like exploded that love like so much more. I'm just going crazy about this. Um, it's only available digital. I think I'm hoping she's going to do a like vinyl release. Um, but yeah, that's uh, Wild Wild Woman. Um, I'm trying to look up the track listing. I'm failing. Um, but the first track on the album, um, the first track on the album, I believe it's called Man of Weakness. And that is like this incredible anthem about like just saying fuck you to a relation to like a toxic relationship. Um, it is so incredible and it's like such a like powerhouse way to start an album. Uh, so, I mean, just hit play on this EP and I'm sure you will absolutely fall in love with it so that's your smith um and it's wild wild woman um awesome that is it for this episode of credits due uh thank you everyone for listening and joining us um i hope you'll tune in for our next episode which will be in two weeks we'll we'll be discussing the movie witness um a movie I honestly have never heard of. <laughs> I but, was just going to say yeah, that. I have yeah, no same. idea what this movie is. <laughs> uh, it's won two Oscars, and it it Holy seems shit. like the reception is like that it is an incredible movie. But All right. As it, Sweet. It's not, I don't think it's a movie that people talk about, but um, very looking forward to watching that. It will be a nice change of pace from all these blockbusters we've been watching. <laughs> and until then, uh, Tyler, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen. You can find me, Dino Neil Man, at Dino Neil Man on Twitter. <laughs> oh, no, you revealed your true identity. <laughs> oh, no! Well, dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you can listen to my new music podcast called Pivotal Tracks. Uh, you can find that by just searching Pivotal Tracks on anywhere that you are subscribing to this podcast. And you can follow the show at Credits Do Pod. That's Credits Do P-O-D. And until our next episode, thank you for joining us. Hope to see you again, and remember, as always, I've had people walk out on me before, but not 
when I was so being so charming. 